0: You're listening to the Through the Bible Studio series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. Here's Nate. This final section in the book of 1 Thessalonians gives us a really a wonderful opportunity at seeing a full, true and, you know, complete response to the gospel message. I I think the error, of course, in approaching these heavily exhortational sections of scripture is to think that somehow this is what a person does to gain approval from God. And in reality, what we're believing is that these are the things that by the help and the strength of God, we want to do in response to the incredible, almost unbelievable love of God for us. And so this is our response to the gospel. So I've been telling you that 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 is the sanctification section of this epistle. First three chapters, Paul reminisces about his time in Thessalonica, and he spends the final two chapters detailing the will of God for them, their sanctification. And so we pick it up, our our particular study today in Chapter 5, verse 12. And the the first thing that Paul addresses here is a Christian's responsibility to and uh, function in a local church body. And before I even read these verses, I think I would have to ask you the question of what is your view of the church? And how highly do you value the church? Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18... He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There is a movement on earth called the church. It is a good thing. It is a strong thing. It is imperfect in many ways, but it is valued by God. It says in Acts 20 verse 28 that Paul told the elders in Ephesus to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so the Lord loves his church. He obtained the church with his blood. And so I I actually believe that a passive attitude towards the church at best and a negative and harsh attitude towards the church at worst or an absentee practice from church is absolute sin. It's not optional. God loves his bride. He loves his church. And he wants all of his people to be a part of the body of Christ, the church. And so Paul begins to address our responsibility inside of the body of Christ. And sadly, before I even read this, so many people never get to experience the glory and the joy of being a part of the body of Christ, the family of God. They never give themselves to it. In all its imperfections, it is a joy to be a part of the church. first thing he addressed is the attitude of the believers in Thessalonica towards their leadership in the church. He said in verse 12, he said, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. In those two verses, we discover some interesting things. First of all, we discover the function of the spiritual leadership in Thessalonica, which gives us a wonderful model. Notice what Paul said about them. He said, they labor among you, number one. They were hardworking. It's not always easy. Number two, they are over you in the Lord. This is, of course, not to promote any kind of weird doctrine of pastoral dominance over people's lives in the sense of controlling their property and things like that. But it does speak of an authority that spiritual leadership has in a person's life. okay? And so God has ordained uh, this. And so uh, just as there is order in a strong and good family, the father is the head, the mother standing with the father, and the children obeying the parents. In one sense, God has placed inside of the household of God, he has given spiritual leadership who Paul says are over you in the Lord. And, verse 12, they admonish you. In other words, they instruct you, they warn you, and they rebuke you. And I've just simply found that in this culture, at least, that I live in, these ideas about spiritual leadership are readily, swiftly, and quickly rejected. Uh, People don't want this kind of relationship. And, you know, of course, a good pastor or minister isn't chomping at the bit to rebuke somebody or to express authority, but they do need to be able to lead. They do need to be able to speak into someone's life if that is needed in a person's life. And it's unfortunate that so many people miss out on the blessings of God, the full blessings of God, because they make a decision that they are the king in their universe. Jesus Christ is the king, and he has blessed us with wonderful instruments to be able to uh, decipher his will for our lives and to make good decisions and all of that. And so in the church, it's only natural that there would be a leadership that's provided. It's it's protective, it is good for the body of Christ. They labor, they are over you, and they admonish you, Paul says in verse 12. And then Paul said also, as far as the way the Thessalonians were to treat these leaders. Number one, he says in verse 12, you're to respect those. They're to give them respect. And, uh, you know, I think in Thessalonica, there was probably a somewhat of a difficulty in finding good and qualified leaders. The church was only a year old at the time that Paul wrote this epistle. And so these uh, leaders were brand new. And more than likely, they had gotten saved and given their lives to Christ right around the same time as most of the people in the church. And so you wouldn't look at them and see someone who is an elder in the sense of they are older than me or they are older than me in the Lord. They would have been in Christ about the same amount of time. But so that's why Paul has to tell them you have to give a concerted effort to give that admiration and to give that respect to place that respect upon these spiritual leaders and i found that the giving of respect so often is very similar to love we say at times that love is not an emotion but it is a decision true love is a decision and i found that respect can be a decision that a person makes towards a position and so he tells the church in thessalonica listen This isn't any kind of celebrity worship, but it's also not poor treatment. You are to respect those who are laboring among you. And then in verse 13, he tells them also, secondly, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. In other words, you're to have a, literally in the Greek, a super abundantly high opinion of them because of their work. You think about the responsibility of spiritual leadership. You know, I have a friend of mine who's a physician and we love to joke around with each other about the importance of our respective professions. And I love to joke with him about, well, hey, you may be helping people in the here and now, but I'm helping people for all of eternity. And, you know, we love to to joke about that kind of work. But there are so many similarities between a pastor or a missionary or a, a teacher of God's word And a physician. But the reality is, it is a great responsibility. It is a difficult task. It can be brutal at times. The uh, negative comments that are made and the persecution in Paul's day, especially, that could come as a result of the work. And they they do, as Paul said, a good work, or they do a work, and it is a great work. And so he says, esteem them, esteem them, esteem them, have a high value for them. And then Paul goes on and he says, verse 13, and also be at peace among yourselves. This isn't just a general exhortation towards peace. This is the result of the church family following well. And so uh, he's telling them, he's basically saying, as much as resides with you, Thessalonian believers, maintain peace with your leaders by following them. You know, if they're being biblical, if they're being ethical, if they're being moral, and they're, you know, not in sin, and they're called to that ministry, uh, then follow them. Maintain peace with them. And I've found that people many times are looking for a battle, looking for a dispute. The volume is too loud. The, you know, ministries aren't enough. The procedures aren't Perfect. Paul says, listen, there's a lot that goes on for these leaders. And so follow, follow them well. I think that a person in a church can maintain peace. I, I've served for years as an assistant pastor, as a volunteer, as a, a support person to those that are leading ministries. And I found that for me, I was able to maintain peace with them as I prayed for them regularly, as I followed them enthusiastically, and also as I remembered that they were merely human beings. Once somebody is put up on a pedestal for worship, a bad thing is going to happen. If someone ever puts me on a pedestal, I know one of two things is going to happen. Either I will be crushed by them, or they will be crushed when I disappoint them. And so expect some humanness from your spiritual leaders. Beyond just the Thessalonians' treatment of their spiritual leaders in the church, he goes on in verse 14 and talks about their relationship to one another. He says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good, to one another, and to everyone. A scattering of exhortations from Paul, but all of these have to do with a believer's relationship with other believers inside of the church. How to behave, how to act, how to respond. And so uh, here, you know, those that are lazy or idle, he says, inside the church, we admonish them. Those that are faint-hearted, who are just... Uh, Have a weak soul and give up easily. Encourage them. Those that are weak, perhaps spiritually or perhaps physically, uh, hold them up in prayer and in fellowship. Support them. You know, new believers, young Christians, support them. And he says, be patient with everyone, making sure that no one repays evil for evil. Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone yeah, A wonderful relationship between the believers inside of their respective churches and so just a powerful ideal and we move on into verse 16 17 and 18 a little cluster which is so fascinating Paul turns his attention now from the relationship to the church and now to really in one sense the work of the spirit here on earth and before that, the attitude that we possess. He says, verse 16, he says, rejoice always. This is actually the shortest verse in the Bible in the original Greek language. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In other words, God's will for our lives, God's desire for us. Our responsibility is to have a certain inward attitude in life. And here Paul says that it's to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances. These are to be the inward attitudes that govern a person. I don't know about you, but I'm not an, an immediately up or chipper kind of person. I don't know if you've been able to figure that out by now, but just by my own nature, left to myself, I can tend to be down. I can tend to be slightly negative. I don't know if you've ever seen the Winnie and the Pooh franchise, but when I was a child, my father used to look at me from time to time and call me Eeyore, the character Eeyore. And and uh, when he would say that to me, I got it. I understood it. Yeah, that's exactly who I am right now. And it just so fit. And I approach a text like this, rejoice always and pray without ceasing, give thanks in every circumstance. It's hard for me. I realize that this is not a natural ability that I possess. And I realize as well that every single thing that happens in my life, I'm probably not going to be thankful for and probably not wanting to rejoice over. So here's the thing. It's not that we rejoice because of everything it's not that we give thanks for everything and it's not that we pray in happiness about everything no we rejoice always and we pray without ceasing and we give thanks in all circumstances he says there in verse 18 for this is the will of god in christ jesus for you in other words we're able to have these inward attitudes because of the reality Of Jesus Christ. I can rejoice always because of Jesus. No matter how bad life gets, no matter what kind of trial I'm in, no matter how dissatisfied I am at any particular moment, I'm able to rejoice always because at all times or always, Jesus has died for me. Jesus has shed his blood for me. Jesus has redeemed me. And there is the hope of heaven as a result of the work of Christ. So even in my worst moments, which I wouldn't rejoice over, or even in trials that I might be going through, or the difficulties that others might face that I'm witnessing, I'm not going to rejoice because of any of those things. But through those things, even though I may sorrow, there's an overarching attitude above all of it. Sort of the umbrella that i have above my head that when the rain is dropping there is this umbrella that protects me and it is jesus 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 as well i pray always for the same reason i am able to be in constant contact with god because of what jesus has done i'm able to pray because of jesus He's the one that opened up a whole new relationship with God for me. He restored it. He brought me back to the God that I had lost in the Garden of Eden. And he he restored that relationship. He reconnected me to my Heavenly Father. And so now I am able to enter in, the Bible says, to the throne room of God to find grace and mercy to help me in my time of need. You remember, of course, when Jesus died on the cross, it says in the Gospel of Mark that the veil or the curtain of the temple says this in Matthew as well was torn in two from top to bottom right so what what that indicated was that there was this veil that was protecting mankind from going into the Holy of holies, the presence of God there was One high priest who would would go into that room once per year. And when he went, he went with great fear and great trepidation. It was not a casual relationship with God. It wasn't a, you know, mowing the lawn and just saying, Oh, Lord, would you help me today? My attitude's been rather poor. And, you know, I'm asking for your strength. It, It wasn't a, you know, driving down the freeway and saying, Oh, Lord, you know, please provide for my family. Uh, Lord, give me wisdom today while I'm at work. It it wasn't a grabbing the wife of your spouse and saying, Lord, please, would you open up new doors for us? I just lost my job or uh, I, I need another opportunity. Lord, please provide. It wasn't that kind of casual relationship with God. It was with fear and trembling that one man went into the presence of God once per year. But then when Jesus died, the veil tore from top to bottom, indicating that God was saying, access has now been won through this activity my son shedding his blood and of course the access isn't into some temple with a ark of the covenant and all of that that's not where access is won we know that the temple was just an image or a picture or a reflection of the heavenly reality in other words there is a place where god actually really dwells in heaven the throne room of god that because of jesus we can go to at all times and so paul urges the thessalonians because of the life of christ to pray at all times to pray without ceasing and then also because of jesus we are able to give thanks in all circumstances this is where romans 8:28 comes in that we know that for those who love god all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose you know, there's just an understanding that what Jesus is doing in my life is good because of the life of Jesus I can be thankful for everything that's happening in my life in part because I know that through everything that I go through in life Jesus is actually working it out for the greater glory of God and part of the way he's doing that is by conforming me more and more into his image. And and I've just found in my life at least that I really cannot become more like Christ without some adversity and without some difficulty because I'm so far from being like him that I can't become more like him through a continual string of happy environments Uh, that would barely push me in his direction. No, it takes harsh strokes of the chisel and the hammer for me to become like Jesus. And so, even in the hardest times in life, we are able to, as Paul said, give thanks in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances, notice that verse 18, but in all circumstances. We are able to give thanks because of the life of Jesus. Now he goes on in the text in verse 19. And as I said earlier, he begins to deal with our relationship with God in the spiritual realm. He says, verse 19, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And so, the first thing he says here is, do not quench the spirit. I so love that phrase from Paul because when he says, Do not quench the spirit. That word quench is a word that indicates fire. And I think in the world that we live in, we understand the reality of what fire, you know, is. Think of some of the phrases that that we might use. If If a married couple, perhaps, is years into their marriage and the zeal is beginning to wane and they're struggling a bit. One of them might say that there is no longer the spark that used to be there, right? We understand what that spark means, that the fire isn't burning bright. Or perhaps you get angry at someone and you say, man, I'm so fired up right now. You know, I'm so fired up. Or perhaps, you know, you're watching a basketball game and a player scores a few points in a row and the commentator says, oh, he's really starting to heat up right now or he's on fire right we say these things and we understand the idea of a passion and something that's excelling and burning bright and so paul here uses that terminology to say don't quench the spirit let the spirit of god burn bright in your life you know you think about the wonderful resource that we have with the spirit of god that when you place your faith and your trust in christ you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. You become one spirit and the spirit of God enters into you and you become one with the Lord himself. It says Jesus said in John chapter 14 verse 16, he said, "I'm going to go, I'm going to depart, but I'm going to pray to the Father and in verse 16 he said, "He will send to you another helper." And so we have the spirit of God inside of our lives as Christians. And so our desire then is to see him burning brightly at full flame. And I found that there are many ways to quench the spirit. He says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. I found that there are many ways to quench the spirit of God. He says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, he says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. One way to quench the spirit of God is through any form of substance abuse in this life. Listen, I actually don't even care whether marijuana is legal or illegal or alcohol is legal or illegal. For a Christian to ever put themselves intentionally in an impaired state is sin. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You quench the Spirit of God when you give yourself to substance abuse. I think another way to quench the Spirit is through sexual sin. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you? And when Paul said that, he said it in the middle of this passage in 1 Corinthians 6 where he is dealing with sexual sin. I've heard so many of my friends who love to work out that, Well, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so i got to work out. And that might be the 90th application of that verse, but it's hardly the first. The first application is don't engage in sexual sin. And so many people, they want to know, why isn't God working in my life? I feel so dry. Well, do you feel dry? Do you feel a rottenness in your bones? David expressed in one of his psalms that he felt a rottenness in his bones after his sexual sin with Bathsheba. So by the grace of God, there's a way to mercy and grace and repentance. But... To sin sexually will quench the Spirit of God in your life. So in short, sin quenches the Spirit. But there are other things, of course, as well. Doubting the power of the Spirit and trusting your pragmatic, humanistic, psychological uh, ideas above the power of God to change and transform you. To distort the work of the Spirit, to twist it to be something that it's not to be rolling in the aisles and barking and expressing holy laughter and believing in silly things like gold dust appearing whenever we have a prayer meeting and stuff like that. That is quenching the Spirit of God. You're distorting the work of the Spirit. He exalts Christ to despise the work of the Spirit as well, to say, well, it's too weird, too freaky. I don't want to be a part of it at all. And so there are many ways to quench the Spirit of God. And then Paul says in verse 20, don't despise prophecies. Receive them. But then he says, test them as well, verse 21, and receive what is good, hold fast to that, and abstain from every form of evil. So we test it over time, and we test a word from the Lord or a so-called word from the Lord with the real word of the Lord, the word of God. Then he closes out this epistle by saying in verse 23, And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Who is it that sanctifies us? Paul says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. What is it that God desires to sanctify in you? your whole spirit and soul and body, he says. And why would I even want to be sanctified? Well, so that you could be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is your bridegroom, you are his bride. What bride would want to have dirty garments? And how is it done? He says, verse 24, he will surely do it. And then he closes by saying, Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you as well. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.